morning again. Let me invite you to open your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, today we'll be in verses 13 through 17. Let's read our passage as we begin this morning. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the uh, word of God, the inerrant, the authoritative and inspired word. May he bless what we've read and let me ask for his help as we look into this portion of his word. Jesus, strengthen our hearts and minds, Lord. Uh, Strengthen our hearts and minds with your Holy Spirit. We uh, dare not use unaided human reason as we look to your word. We need our eyes opened from above. We need our ears opened by your divine spirit. Please do this among us. Uh, My words, may it not just be a speech or a talk, but may you strengthen me too with your spirit that we might hear your words. Lord, I pray that you'd fill me afresh and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Christ, help us now, we ask in your name. Amen. These uh, auspicious-looking gentlemen, George Whitfield and John Wesley, if you can see them, were both uh, uh, important figures in church history. Uh, Each of them played a significant role in the English revival that took place in the 1700s in England. Both... Uh, incidentally, also made visits to Georgia in their day. Uh, Whitfield's went quite well. Wesley's went quite badly. Um, But in England, uh, both of these men uh, disagreed on several important matters of theology uh, and at times disagreed quite sharply. Whitfield, uh, however, was careful not to uh, create problems in public that would Uh, reveal this division uh, and harm the gospel message. Uh, One one gentleman once once asked Whitfield uh, there on your your left, yes, (laughs) asked Whitfield if, if he thought he would see John Wesley in heaven. Apparently this man wondered if John Wesley was actually a Christian. Uh, This man uh, was doing what so many of us do. We take the words of our favorite pastor uh, and uh, think that anybody who disagrees with our favorite pastor surely is not going to heaven. 
this man disagrees with what R.C. Sproul said. This man doesn't agree with John MacArthur. This man doesn't agree with John Piper. How can he be a believer? Well, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but it's not much. Uh, anyway, this man wondered if John Wesley would uh, ask Whitfield if he thought he would see Wesley in heaven. I fear not, Wesley began. The other man thought that he was, Wesley, uh, Whitfield was confirming his opinion of Wesley. But then George Whitfield went on to say this, I fear not, for he will be so near the eternal throne and we at such a distance, we shall hardly get sight of him. He will be so near the eternal throne and we at such a distance, we shall hardly get sight of him. You and I might be surprised at who we'll see in eternity. We might be taken aback by who's closer to the eternal throne than we are. We might be shocked to see who's been invited to the great wedding feast at Christ's return, the feast we read about just moments ago, uh, uh, of which Revelation 19.6 says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who's invited to that marriage supper? Who's going to be at that dinner? The scribes in our account uh, surely believe they would be there, but as it turns out, their invitation has been revoked. Who will be feasting in Jesus' kingdom? What kind of people does Jesus welcome into his kingdom? You might be surprised at the answer. Sinners are welcome into Jesus' kingdom. Not the high and the holy, but the down and out. Jesus welcomes sinners just like you and like me. And this is what we find out in verses 13 to 17 this morning. We'll see that Jesus welcomes sinners into his kingdom through three events that happen in our passage. Three events reveal just who he welcomes in his Kingdom And the first event that we come to is the call of Levi. Uh, passing by his tax booth, Jesus summons Levi to follow him. And let me point out three things in this call of Levi. First, I want you to note uh, the setting of where this takes place. Notice verse 13, he went out again, Jesus that is, beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. At the beginning of the chapter, we read that uh, Christ had returned to the city of uh, Capernaum, which is up to the north, uh, near the Sea of Galilee, in this region called Galilee. He had previously been traveling throughout here, uh, uh, preaching and casting out demons, it says in verse uh, 1, but now he's returned still in the city of Capernaum. And today we see that he's, he's returned to the beside the sea of Galilee itself. This is where, remember, he called uh, Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. He's returned to that vicinity to summon another man into his band of followers. And we see Jesus doing here beside the sea uh, what has become one of his most essential roles. He's teaching 
uh, no doubt teaching the good news of the kingdom, which was summed up in chapter 1. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Everywhere he went, Jesus announced that anyone could enter his kingdom and experience the forgiveness of sins by turning away from their sinful practices and by putting their trust in him. We see the setting of this call to begin with, uh, near Capernaum, uh, beside the Sea of Galilee. Then second, uh, we see the summons itself. Jesus summons Levi to follow him. Verse 14 says, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Levi is another name for Matthew. Uh, we see in the other Gospels, uh, Apparently, he has two names, just like Simon Peter had uh, two names. But notice where Levi is seated. It says, at the tax booth, uh, Capernaum was often referred to as a border town. Uh, again, Capernaum is right here, uh, a very short distance from the border of this region in Tam, uh, Galantius, um, and uh, so Levi would be seated at the tax booth and he would, uh, he would, people traveling both from the north, from the east, even people traveling across the Sea of Galilee would encounter him as they arrived there near Capernaum. Uh, he probably sat in something like a toll booth, a customs shed. Uh, after stopping at Levi's uh, customs shed, Levi would rummage through their belongings that they were carrying. He would charge a fee on what they were transporting. Now, no one ever knew how much, what this would come to. After all, uh, billboards weren't invented yet. There was no sign, 35 cents per axle or whatever, <laughs> whatever you've seen on the road. So it was anybody's guess what the, what the tax collector was going to charge you. And quite often, tax collectors overcharged. Uh, the tax on these goods felt more like extortion than taxation. Uh, they were infamous for this. Uh, they would uh, give a required amount to the person that was over them, and they would keep the overcharge for themselves. And, and because of this, many became quite wealthy, uh, but they also became universally hated by the rest of the population. And so as we see this today, Levi is a hated man by his fellow Jews. Listen to how the Bible describes a couple of other tax collectors. This is when uh, some tax collectors come out to John the Baptist in Luke 3. John says to them, tax, uh, the, Luke 3 says, tax collectors also came to be baptized by John, that is, and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And John said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. It's a very common practice according to Scripture. There's another tax collector in the Bible named Zacchaeus. Uh, you, of course, remember the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Uh, we could go on. Um, uh, he's described in Luke 19. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. A few verses later, Luke writes, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, 
Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So these tax collectors were dishonest, uh, basically extortioners. You've heard people uh, refer them to IRS agents, and that's, that's far too tame a comparison. They were more like loan sharks. They were more like gangsters or, or common thugs. And, and, and yet, this is the kind of man that Jesus summons. Verse 14 goes on to say, and he said to him, follow me. That phrase is, is very important in Mark's gospel. It's far more than uh, just tag along for the next few days and, and kind of test the waters and see what this is about. Follow me as a summons. Mark uses it to, uh, to represent a call to faith. And so when Christ tells Levi, follow me, he's telling Levi, repent and believe. Uh, he's summoning him to respond in faith. Following involved risk and cost. It was not just thought, it, it, it involved action. This is the summons that we find uh, in our uh, passage. Uh, Levi summons, uh, Jesus summons Levi to follow, to repent and believe. And then the third thing I want you to see is the salvation of Levi. Notice the very end of verse 14. And he rose and followed him. Uh, certainly Levi, being so close, um, had probably heard Jesus teaching the crowds, had heard the good news of the kingdom and the invitation to enter. But then the teacher summoned him. He had to be shocked. You're asking someone like me to enter your kingdom? Someone hated by my fellow Jews? You're asking me to become your disciple and, and to come after you? And, and hearing Jesus' call, and hearing more than just a call, hearing the divine summons, Levi got up from his booth and followed he abandoned his former profession to enter a discipling relationship with Christ. And that is something far more radical than what the fishermen before him had done. Peter and Andrew, James and John, well, they could always return to fishing. And they did for a brief time at the end of the Gospels after the crucifixion. But a tax collector who abandons his post could not return, according to one scholar. He's turned his back on his past to follow Christ and, and to become his disciple. And isn't that the kind of break that Christ calls every one of us to make, to leave everything behind and follow him? 
Say, have, have you done that? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, you, you might ha- not have to leave your job or your home or your loved ones, but boy, let's not be mistaken that that's, that's what the gospel calls us to do. Does it not? Come after me. Well, this is the call of Levi. The, we see Christ summon him to faith and summon him to follow. And this leads directly and is the reason or the cause for the second event in our passage. And that's the feast at Levi's. Many tax collectors and sinners celebrate with Jesus and the disciples at Levi's house. I want to mention two things here about this feast. First of all, let me just describe the meal to you and point out what kind of meal it was. Look at verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, just to sort the pronouns, And as Jesus reclined at table in Levi's house, uh, Jesus is reclining uh, and eating at the home of Levi. What does it mean to recline at table? Well, in the room where this meal took place, there would have been some kind of table in the middle. Small picture. Um, Sorry if you can't see it clearly. Uh, And then each side of the table were dining couches. And each guest would lie down on this couch with his head near the food and his feet away from him, leaning on one elbow, as you see some of the people doing in this drawing. Uh, But more than one scholar points out that this posture, reclining at table, is how people ate at formal meals. This was a customary posture for feasts. And festivals. This is no ordinary meal. This is more of a celebration. Levi is celebrating that he's been invited to to enter the kingdom and to follow Christ. And he's been welcomed into Christ's kingdom and was now a follower of Jesus. But there are others there too. Verse 15 goes on to say, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. There were other disreputable people there, tax collectors uh, like Levi, and many sinners. And that word sinners uh, is is a general term and refers to those who refused to follow the Pharisees' rules on holiness. The sinners were people who did business with Gentiles. They were people who, who uh, performed forbidden trades like, like preparing animal skins. Sinners, as this term refers to, were a disgrace to their families. They were excluded from the synagogue and, and generally looked down on by the, by the public. And frankly, any teacher concerned about his reputation would have had nothing to do with them. One, one writer describes them like this. Uh, some of the above are criminal elements, but many are simply laborers and commoners who were too busy, too poor, or too ignorant to live up to the rules 
of the religious authorities. What are they doing there? What is a shady crowd doing at Levi's house? Well, verse 15, at the very end, look at what it says. For there were many who followed him. Remember, follow is not just mean tag along. Mark uses it to describe the proper response of faith in Jesus. And apparently the reason that many tax collectors and sinners are present is because they too are celebrating. They're celebrating that like Levi, Jesus welcomed them into the kingdom of God. And so what kind of meal was this? It was a feast. Levi and his co-workers and and other disreputable people were, were celebrating that God had called and then welcomed them into his kingdom. There's another thing, though, I want you to see about this feast. And that's what the meal means, what it represents. Because there's more here than meets the eye. More than one scholar suggests that this meal at Levi's is a picture of a greater banquet. This meal is a picture, looks ahead to that great banquet that will take place at the end of the age. That great banquet described in Revelation 19 when Christ will hold a feast for his bride, the church. Who will eat bread at that feast? People just like these. The spiritually poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, they've all been invited to the feast. All are invited to repent and believe that they might enter the kingdom of God. And so secondly, the second event in our passage is the feast at Levi's house, this celebration that, that looks forward to that great feast at the end. There's a third event that takes place as well, and that is the defense of Levi. Jesus tells the scribes that sinners like these are why he came. And let me point out two things about this defense. First, I want to show you the anger. And of course, I'm referring to the anger of the scribes. We see this in verse 16. Look at your Bible. And the scribes of the Pharisees. We've seen these men before, haven't we? Scribes were experts in the law of Moses. Uh, the Old Testament law, experts in Jew Jewish law, they took the call to holiness very seriously. So seriously that they wanted to ensure that everyone kept the law and was working toward holiness. And to achieve this, they were known for coming up with added regulations to ensure that people remained holy. And these men are angry. They're they're outraged by what Jesus is doing. Uh, verse 16 again. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Really not a question, really an exclamation. Uh, uh, more outrage than, than inquisition. Is he actually eating with tax collectors and sinners? 
Or how can he possibly eat with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't he know that his purity could be compromised by eating with these people? Look, they're touching. Also outraged that Jesus has welcomed and accepted those who haven't been keeping God's laws like they have. He doesn't require holiness up front. He doesn't tell them to toe the line before he calls them. He accepts them just as they are. These men are like the Jews that Paul refers to, his fellow Jews. And he, he talks about them in Romans 10. And listen to what he says. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. They did too. But not according to knowledge or, or not according to truth. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, God had told the Jews what was required to be in a right standing with him. God had told them the righteous shall live by faith. But they didn't submit to that. They didn't submit to God's way of righteousness. They tried to establish their own righteousness by works. And these scribes are outraged that Jesus accepts and welcomes those who haven't lifted a finger to be righteous. How can he eat with these people? They are outraged. We see their anger to begin with. But secondly, I want you to see the answer that Jesus gives them in defense of eating with sinners and in defense of his own actions. Jesus first answers them with a proverb in verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. As if to ask them, do sick people need to get well before they see the doctor? Do you cram for a doctor's appointment? Now, I truly do cram for a dentist appointment because those can be unpleasant for me. Do you, do you have to get over the flu to go in and get checked out for the flu and get whatever the flu medicine they give you? Well, let me get well first and then I'll come see you. It's the sick people that need the doctor. And that's why waiting rooms are such, so hazardous because there's sick people everywhere. You're not in a room of well people. Well, people don't go to the doctor and Jesus is saying to these men kind of, I don't know, I, I read it a little sarcastically, you know, duh, do sick people, uh, don't they, are they the ones that need the doctor? And from the proverb, he goes on to state his purpose as verse 17 goes on, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I didn't come to call the so-called righteous people of this world. I didn't come trying to establish, I didn't come to call those who were trying to establish 
their own righteousness apart from God. Or the self-righteous. I didn't come to call them. And that was largely the Jews at this point in history. And Jesus said, I'm the great physician. I came to call those who are desperately ill. I came to call those who are terminally ill. I came to call those who are sick with sin. And further, I don't require them to get well before they come to me. I don't require them to clean up before they come to me. I welcome them as they are. This is the radical nature of grace that you scribes, you know nothing about. Do you remember what grace is? God's help or favor for the undeserving with no thought of repayment. What a glorious thing. God's help or favor for the undeserving with no thought of repayment. And you might be thinking to yourself, wow, what do I have to do to get that? The answer is you can't do anything to deserve that. Because look what it says, for the undeserving. Romans 5 said it like this, that you're probably familiar with. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, none of us got cleaned up before we came to Christ. None of us stopped cussing before we came to Christ or stopped sinning before we came to Christ. We came to Christ while we were still sinners. God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the radical nature of God's grace. He gives it to the completely undeserving. There was a man named Joseph Hart who, who attempted to put this into words uh, in a song called Come Ye Sinners. And uh, this is how it goes. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye needed, needy, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. Without money, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you. This he gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. Lo, the incarnate God ascended. Please the merit of his blood. Venture on him. Venture holy. Let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus. 
None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. Oh, this is, this is the answer of Jesus. I don't require the sick to get well before they come. I welcome them as they are. I don't call them, I don't call the so-called righteous ones. I, I came to call those sick with sin. This is the radical nature of grace. And this is the defense of Levi and those like him. Jesus tells the scribe he came for people like this. So let me ask you again, who's invited to this? Who will be feasting with Jesus in his kingdom? And what kind of people does Jesus welcome? And, and I think we really need to pay attention to this. It's not necessarily, uh, definitely not necessarily white people. It's not necessarily Republicans. It's not necessarily middle class, upper middle class, upper lower class, I don't know. It's not those who are American citizens. Isn't that what we often think? Who does Jesus call to the banquet? Well, good people like me. No. He calls those you'd least expect. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to believe it. He does not invite the high and holy. Those who think they're okay are definitely not okay. He did not come to call them. Those who think they'll get in on their church membership or their baptism or, or their Christian upbringing, listen, those people, unless they repent and believe, are doomed. Jesus invites the down and out. He invites those who are desperately sick and know it. He invites and welcomes people like Levi. And he invites and welcomes sinners like you and like me. He gives us this assurance in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. I will never cast out. So in his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland imagines a conversation between us and Christ based on this verse. No, wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. You know most of it, sure. Certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside of me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too. I understand. But I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help. 
the burden is heavy and heavier all the time, then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed toward others. They're against you. That I'm the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So what kind of people does Jesus welcome into his kingdom? You're, you're, I hope it shocks you. It's not nice white North American Republicans necessarily. It's thugs like Levi and it's sinners like you and me. That's who Christ calls. And not just calls, but welcomes into his kingdom. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So maybe you need to hear this message. And, and I don't know if you're sitting there thinking, well, you don't know what I've done. <laughs> then just relive this conversation. Yeah, I don't, but Jesus sure does. And this morning, he extends an invitation to you. Come to me. And those of you that have come to Christ, need to share this passage with the people around you. Because you know people who think they're too far gone, who, who think they're actually worse than Levi. And they need to hear from you. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for sinners like me and like you. Father, I pray that you would Help us as comfortable white North American Christians, mostly probably Republicans, help us to see that your acceptance is not based on any of the above. Your acceptance is not based on anything but your own grace. It's not the kind of mom and dad we grew up with. It's not because we were raised in a Christian home. It is only because of grace. So, Lord, I pray for that person here who has yet, like Levi, come to turn away from their old life to trust in uh, your payment for sin on the cross. And I pray for us who have done that, that we would take this very same message to the people around us. And tell them the good news that Jesus came for sinners. Jesus didn't come for people who know all the books of the Bible and can quote John 3.16. Jesus came for the kind of people who've never even looked at a Bible. Jesus came for sinners like you and me and accepts us because of his radical grace. Savior, burn this in our minds and hearts. 
And may, may it cause us to fall more deeply in love with you and become more grateful for what you've done for us on the cross, Savior. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.